What do you do when you have a dream that dies? Today, I'm sharing a special episode in which I share an essay I wrote about the death of our dream when it came to the end of our time connected to Ramsey Solutions. I'm Amy Fritz, and you're listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all that is not good or true, this is the place for you. Hey friends, I don't do a lot of solo episodes, but I'm working on a writing project this year. And since writing is kind of a crazy, solo, lonely thing, I wanted to occasionally share some of the words that I'm putting together for you. So today I'm sharing an essay I initially only shared with my Patreon community. As I was planning out content for this year, I decided to share some of the essays with everyone. That won't be the case with each one, but it is for this one. I think this one hits on a theme that most of you can relate to. When a dream dies. No one leaves home, and this home is the mouth of a shark. You only run for the border when you see the whole city running as well. Warsenshire Home. In June of 2022, I recorded myself saying the words, this is not my dream. If you're reading these words or listening to my voice as I read them, you know what it's like to find yourself in a place that you never wanted to be. That's where I was when I shared those words on the Untangled Faith podcast, a podcast I started to provide community and encouragement and education for people like me, people who had experienced pain and disillusionment connected to their evangelical Christian faith. The podcast tagline says it best. For those who want to hang on to their faith, while untangling it from all that isn't good and true. Well, that's the place we found ourselves, and it's a place that we never wanted to be. I don't know the exact path that led you into running into me here, but I'm certain it involved the death of a dream, maybe more than one. This account wouldn't make sense if I didn't anchor it with the idea of dreams, chasing dreams, achieving dreams, being certain that broken dreams were a thing of the past, getting sucked into the vortex of other people's misguided dreams, And finally, waking up from what we thought was a dream, only to discover it was a nightmare. We had a dream that died on April 26th, 2019 in Brentwood, Tennessee. But if you're going to understand that day in 2019, I need to tell you about some days in 2011 and 2012. We use the word dream a lot in 2012. When Nathan and I would describe his new job, it was a dream job. On more than one occasion, I told people that Nathan felt like he was going to Disney World every day. I can't say for sure, but it seemed like this way of talking about Nathan's job working for the Lampo Group, that's the legal name of Dave Ramsey's company, was highly influenced by a book we read in late 2011, while we were walking through the long interview process. As a fan of the Stuff Christians Like blog, I was a John Acuff fan and had recently discovered he had accepted a position working for Dave Ramsey. And not only had he landed a job there, but he had also written a book about the process of getting that job. Quitter, closing the gap between your day job and your dream job. I convinced the librarian at the college where my husband was working to get that book. And once it arrived, I checked it out and devoured it. Here's how Acuff described getting that job offer from Dave Ramsey. Quote, this wasn't a job offer. This was a long-term dream job offer, a chance to do what I've always wanted with my life, the opportunity to write things I wanted to write and speak at places I wanted to speak and follow my dream like never before. 
unquote. The way he described his new workplace hooked me. Not long after reading his book, Nathan started the application process. When Nathan was offered a job, we felt like our dreams had come true. I was living between two very different experiences with dreams. I was reckoning with the sudden death of my mom that had happened a few years prior, while simultaneously thrilled with the dream job Nathan had landed. What I didn't know at that moment in 2012 was that a little over seven years later, what we had been so certain was a dream would become something closer to a nightmare. I already had a dream that died. It hadn't occurred to me that another one would. And when Acuff published Quitter in 2011, I doubt he had any idea he would be abruptly walking away from what he had told the world was his dream job just two years later. As I reread Quitter, I can't help but note that so many things he shared have not aged well. Here's an example, quote, Dave has also spent 17 years growing a personal brand. He's got a huge radio audience, is a New York Times bestselling author, and had spoken to hundreds of thousands of people. And he's managed to not become a jerk along the way. That's no easy feat, unquote. I wonder when exactly John realized that his dream job was a nightmare. How did the current version of John reckon with the words he wrote about Dave in 2011? Sometime over the next two or three years, something must have changed. In the book Quitter, Acuff shared about the three times he'd been asked to speak at the weekly Devo meeting for the employees at the Lampo Group before being offered a job. He had struggled with whether or not he should charge a speaker fee. After all, he had to take time off work and drive to and from Atlanta to say yes to the speaking engagements. In his book, Acuff says he landed on not charging and that he was happy with that decision. Here's how he describes what he got for his first speaking engagement. Quote, the experience was awesome, and they graciously gave me a massive bag of books as a thank you. Unquote. A massive bag of books. Somehow, Acuff had convinced himself that he was the one winning because he had been given exposure and a big bag of Ramsey books. When was the last time you were offered a bag of crap and gaslit yourself into believing you were being given some gift you were unworthy of? Apparently, he had some misgivings along the way because he wrote this also. And despite a successful book release under my belt, a dozen fun speaking engagements behind me, and the best months I ever spent at a job, fear still exists, particularly the fear that I might have done the wrong thing and made the wrong decision. When you're invested in something being a dream, it's harder to see the signs that it's a nightmare. When I look at Acuff's timeline, it's clear that his dream was dying while we were married to the idea of most things at Ramsey being wonderful. And as much as I wish he had stood up and sounded the alarm, I don't think there's any way we would have believed him. I know that now. I didn't then because of a pesky thing called betrayal blindness. In the book Blind to Betrayal by Jennifer Freed and Pamela Burrell, I have this portion highlighted. Surrounding coworkers may remain highly motivated not to see the injustice for fear of losing their own employment. Thus, institutional betrayal and betrayal blindness flourish. If I had a chance, I would ask John when exactly the time of death was for that dream job. The time of death for ours was April 2019. It didn't happen all at once, but we had stayed in denial over its terminal nature for several months. Until that final day, there had been at least a tiny bit of something we could hang our hope onto. Maybe if the right person said the right thing. 
Maybe if they just knew something would change and be fixed, but we found out the right things had been said. The good folks had been run out after doing their level best to course correct. And the remaining power brokers not only knew the truth, but had been a part of what was broken all along. Learning all of that was the death knell to our dream. It was dead along with the future dreams attached to it. We had hoped it would be a forever calling for us, for our children. And when one big dream dies, it takes time to honor it, believe it, bury it, and imagine a new one. When all you really want is for the old broken dream to unbreak itself. Outsized, out of order, malignant dreams break everyone. We were just now figuring that out. Jesus and therapy would prove to later show us that we're always running towards something to fill a need or fix something broken or for the chance at a do-over. On April 26, 2019, a call came mid-morning to tell Nathan his exit interview would be at the end of the workday. At 5.25, I squeezed Nathan's hand as we made our way across the parking lot of Financial Peace Plaza, the home of one of the most popular radio shows in the country at the time. I had traded my typical stay-at-home mom uniform of comfortable clothes for a dressy top and skirt, and we crossed that now-empty courtyard toward the private doorway to the Human Resources Office. More than seven years had passed since I sat and waited for my first spousal interview with Nathan's then potential employer, who I had hoped would offer my husband a job. This interview stood in stark contrast to the first. That interview, I was invited to. To this one, I invited myself. It seemed only right that I would be there, since this company had been such a critical part of both of our lives. Nathan wasn't surprised I was willing to walk into that appointment uninvited. Nathan opened the door and we walked in together. So many things had changed. What was the same though, was my absolute confidence in Nathan. In 2011, I knew they would be foolish not to hire him. In 2019, I was convinced they were fools to let him walk away. Armando Lopez, the director of HR greeted us warmly. And after some small talk said something that I remember going like this, there aren't many times and a name comes across my desk that surprises me, but yours did Nathan. The sadness in his eyes looked genuine, and he continued, I have to ask, is there anything we could have done to avoid this outcome? Nathan and I looked at each other in bewilderment, and I gestured widely and haltingly said, this whole situation? Armando continued, I ask this because sometimes, as you know, we have information that you aren't aware of. Would it have helped to bring you both into a meeting with some more people and give you more information? I briefly exchanged a glance with Nathan and answered first with no hesitation. We're confident we know the truth and that we're making the right choice. I looked at Rick and Armando and back to Nathan and added, I've never been more proud of my husband. Rick and Armando both quickly affirmed that they too were proud of Nathan. In retrospect, I wish I had pressed them on this. What exactly were they proud of? If the human resources team was proud of Nathan, why had Nathan been told by a board member that he knew what he needed to do, insinuating that Nathan's questions about their handling of a situation meant he should leave? Armando's words made Nathan wonder if he knew all the details involved in his resignation. Nathan weighed in next. I wish he was more firm, but that's not his style. He was gracious, but clear. He couldn't stay. He shared several examples of culture shift and business decisions that made him uncomfortable. A handful of signatures later, and then it was time. Armando took us up to the third floor and buzzed us into the office area that had been deserted at the end of the workday an hour ago. He shook our hands and wished us well. 
Then he turned, walked out the door, and left Nathan and I alone to gather what remained of his personal belongings and to say goodbye to the empty workspace where he had worked for seven years and four months. Nathan moved a sign from his now empty desk to John's. Nathan is not working on the refactoring. I swelled the lump in my throat as I thought about Nathan's closest friend at work. A few minutes later, it was our turn to walk out the door. One more ride in the elevator, one more walk past the display of core values on the wall. One in particular stood out to me. Righteous living. We believe character matters all the time. It's a value we still believed, but had been heartbroken to suspect that some in leadership there didn't. We continued through the lobby, and then for the first time, instead of walking out the team member exit, Nathan led us straight out the main doors, and in so doing, called time of death on a dream. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Can I ask you a quick favor? If you enjoy the Untangled Faith podcast, would you send it to a friend? Most folks discover podcasts by word of mouth. Your recommendation would help me out so much. The Untangled Faith podcast is made possible by my supporters on Patreon. For more information about supporting the podcast, check out patreon.com slash untangledfaith. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.